Well, I'm not really crazy about flying. Uh, I do quite a bit of that, actually. But I've never been afraid of a bus before. And uh, just a few days ago, uh, I became very afraid of a bus. Not being hit by a bus, but being squished like a bug in a bus. Uh, it happened at uh, the KCI airport. Uh, Liz and I had just gotten back from a conference I was speaking at in Dallas. It was late at night. The plane was two hours late. You know what that's like? And uh, I turn into a pumpkin at about 9, so it's 11 o'clock. We finally land, and uh, Liz goes, since it's southwest, right? We, we pack our bags through, right? We check them through. She goes to the carousel, and I hop on the blue satellite parking bus to get my car in the satellite parking. I was the last one basically on, and the only seat left was right opposite the driver, right in the front, you know, where the windshield is right there. And uh, the place was packed, right? There were suitcases everywhere. The only thing we could all think of that all of us were late because of weather is to get home. So it's 11.15. I'm sitting in this bus. The bus leaves the terminal, and I'm looking straight ahead. All I can think about is getting home to bed. And uh, the bus heads out, picks up speed, and the terminal road curves, but the bus does not. And I am sitting there in nanosecond time watching the bus go straight when it should have turned. All I can see is the curb coming fast, a big cement pillar, a street light, and a steep embankment. I still don't remember all that happened, but I do remember sitting right here with the bus driver, seeing the bus driver's head go like this, and I hollered out, hey, and for some reason, as the curb and the bus hit, the bus driver woke up and reacted exactly right, just like this, just barely turned the wheel this much, <laughs> and the front mirror was sheared off. The side of the bus was scraped, and the back bumper came off, and the wheel blew a tire. And the bus, instead of going down the embankment, careened back onto the road, and we stopped. We were all shaken up, to say the least. We were shaken in our boots. It was miraculous that we weren't killed. I came so very close, I want you to know this year, to not giving the Easter sermon. And if a pastor wants to get out of an Easter sermon, that's not the way to do it, I assure you. Fear is something we encounter in all our lives. Sometimes we expect it, sometimes we don't. All of us deal with fear. Sometimes our fear protects us, doesn't it? It's a good thing, right? If you're walking on a high trail in the mountains or hiking and near a cliff, it's a good thing you're afraid. Or if you're on a high ladder, my wife won't let me do that anymore. <laughs> She's nervous about that. We fear rightly. I mean, fear sometimes protects us. Sometimes fear pains us. All of us deal with pain in different ways with fear in our life. I was stunned recently reading The Atlantic. It's a magazine I often read, and Scott Stossel described his anxiety. He transparently shared what it was like to be afraid of crowds and barely able to be able to function as an editor We all have fears. Kids, you know what it's like to be afraid of the dark. Even big kids, sometimes I am. Adults are scared too. And we've all had that moment 
when we are very, very afraid of something. Recently, our city has been terrorized by fear. The Grandview shootings, and I read this week that businesses had been deeply affected in the Grandview area because of these shootings. Jim Collins, one of the finest writers on business and organization, describes the environment many of us are in in a corporate context or a business sense today. In his great new best-selling book, Great by Choice, he highlights what they found among businesses, small and large. And this is what he says about the high degree of fear. He says, a gnawing sense of fear and vulnerability is in a world that feels increasingly disordered to us. See, the fear we all face can protect us. It can pain us. But I want to suggest this morning there's another kind of fear. And that is the fear that paralyzes us. Some of the most imprisoning kind of fear, enslaving fears, are fears we seldom talk about. And yet they're a part of our journey. Some of the fears we wrestle with in our hearts is the fear of being known, of being intimate, of being found out by someone else what we're really like. Some of us struggle deeply with a fear of failure, of what we have done in the past, or can we cut it in the future, or what does this week bring for us? Some of us deal deeply with the fears that our life is really ultimately meaningless, that our lives really don't matter. It's a quiet desperation. The rock group Kansas in the 1970s said it well. I kind of like them, actually. And their classic dust in the wind, this is what they said. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Remember that? Dust in the wind. We are all dust in the wind. Fears of being known, fears of failure, fears of the future also stalk us. I hear this often. I deal with it in my own life. What will, the, fear, what will my, the future be for my children, my grandchildren? You may be here this morning thinking about, will I get into a good college? What about my grades? Will I be able to get a good job in a tough job market? Will I be able to achieve financial security? Will I get cancer? How will I fall apart? And one of the ones I hear over and over again is, will I outlive my financial resources? See, we all face fear, yet Easter is good news for our fear. But often we think of Easter, I think, kind of in a sanitized way. We often think of Easter, don't we, as uh, kind of fun, a bright day like today. There's flowers, bunnies, Easter eggs. I like all the new Easter outfits and all those fun fun gatherings we're going to have today. But I think we miss that the first century Easter was very scary. The Easter story is not a fun story at first. It is a story of terrifying fear. But it is also the story of the death of fear. And here is the brilliance of the Easter message. And I'd like you to turn with me if you have a Bible, electronic, page, or listen to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Now, I'd like us to set the backdrop of the first Easter story in, verses 20, or in chapter 26 and 27. 
Let's enter into this story. The Gospel writer Matthew describes the events surrounding Jesus' death, His crucifixion. These were a couple of very fearful days. And if you listen carefully, if you walk through this story, you can feel the fear as if it is palpable to you. If you listen carefully, you feel a blinding kind of heavy fog of fear. And the smell of fear in the Jerusalem air is everywhere in this story. Why? Because history tells us that the barbarian use of crucifixion by the Romans was not only intended to kill somebody, and it did, but it was the best way to terrorize a whole city and a whole country and a whole people into submission to the authority of Rome. So on a hill outside of Jerusalem, three people were crucified. And everybody that could see it from a distance, from even the Temple Mount, were paralyzed with terrorizing fear. It was designed to terrorize a city with fear. On Friday, Jesus was crucified, and the soldiers felt fear. Let me tell you, when the sky turned pitch black, the text says, in the middle of the day, you know you're freaking out. On Saturday, it's very interesting. What happened on Saturday? Only one gospel writer tells us what happened on Saturday. Oh, it's just, there's just silence on Saturday, on the Sabbath. And what we know by one gospel writer is this, that those close to Jesus were hidden behind locked doors, afraid for their life. They're imprisoned in a deathly fear. They're afraid of what they have done, what they have not done. Can you imagine Peter? They are wondering, I think, whether following Jesus was worth everything after all. And what did the future hold? Were they next to come to get it from the officials? Were they next to have a knock on the door? Can you imagine the longest day of their life was Saturday? And I would imagine the two women that we encounter in this story had a fitful night's sleep. And now Matthew picks up in chapter 8 on the third day. What awaits these two women who come to the tomb are some very terrifying moments. And what you will see in these 10 verses, in verses 1 through 4, what begins as deathly fear, <laughs> gloriously ends in verses 5 through 10 as the death of fear. And this is how this story goes. And Matthew wants us to know this idea, that Jesus' resurrection is the death of deathly fear. Now notice as chapter 28 opens, we discover it's early Sunday morning. It's early morning. We know it by the text. It's still dark, and the two women are making their way to the tomb. It's two women in a tomb, not two, women, two men in a truck. I just want you to know that. Every time I think two women in a tomb, I think of that. Sorry. But it's really dark. They are afraid. They've had a brutal couple days. And the fear in the city is as thick as the low-hanging fog of that morning. And so what happens next to them is like, how much can a heart take? Because the ground begins to move and shake under their feet. Have you ever had that experience? Now, I grew up in Minnesota. You know that. It's uh, my claim to fame and survival. And, uh, you know, we could count on things in Minnesota. We could count on mosquitoes like bumblebees. <laughs> That's how big they are. I'm just telling you. We could count on long winters, endless winters. But there was one thing we could always count on, and the ground never moved below our feet. I think it was because it was frozen all the time. That's my theory. But I never experienced an earthquake until my honeymoon in Mexico. I just heard they had a big one yesterday. 
Mexico is a place where there's lots of earthquake activity. I didn't know that when we decided our honeymoon. What are the odds? Here we are in the middle of the night in a hotel called the Torre Blanca. And it, it's like 2 in the morning. We are dead asleep. And the next thing I remember is I was thrown out of the bed across the room as a 6.8 Richter earthquake hit. The building shook, and we ran down the stairs as it shook. <laughs> we must have been a sight. All the guests outside on the hill. And we waited for aftershocks. And there were some, believe me. It was a brutal moment. It makes for great honeymoon memories. If you've ever had a honeymoon, you come back and you tell stories, right? I had the best honeymoon. I was sick, you know. If you ever get married, you tell honeymoon stories to your friends. But it scared me to death. I have never been more frightened, except perhaps the satellite parking bus recently. These women are scared spitless. And then to add on that they encounter a divine visitor. When's the last time you've encountered an angel? Wow. And he rolls back the stone. And he sits on it. I can imagine him sort of crossing his hands and like, I'm here. Divine visitors are not like unwanted relatives. You know, like Chevy Chase and National Lampoon and Uncle Eddie kind of thing. They're, they, they, they show up at your door, but you can't say, go away. And so, the angel's right there. And notice, they're not only scared. The guards, these tough guards, are scared spitless. Look at verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Notice this word, trembled. It's light in English. The Greek text has this sense of a paralyzing, deathly fear that has physiological effects to the core. You all had that? One of my greatest nightmares is from the movie Signs. I hated that movie. I love the village. I hated the movie Signs. Because I still see those aliens, and I've met them in my dreams. You've ever had a moment like that? Some scary dream, an alien, a monster, a rabid dog comes after you. What do you do? You want to run, and you what? You're frozen stiff. That's the picture. Everything is frozen in front of that tomb. Even these tough guards but something happens to unshackle their fear. Good news. Words spoken that change everything. It turned deathly fear into the death of fear. Now look with me at verses 5 through 7 as the story continues. The angel says to the women, do not be afraid. Right. <laughs> I always say to what? Right. For I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, he said, come, now see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel. There you will see him. See? I love this. See? I told you. I think that he chuckled. I don't know, he, she, it, angel. That's my read. There's a bit of humor in the midst of the fear, don't you think? See, see, I told you, I told you so. And notice he says, do not be afraid, or the angel says, do not be afraid. He wants to calm their intense deathly fear, and he does it with a threefold message. Notice what the text says. First, the angel says, this Jesus has risen, I love this, just as he said. I think that's kind of how he said it, or she said it, or it said it. Second, the angel invites the women to take a look in the empty tomb. Don't you love that? Like, okay, he's standing, he's sitting on this big stone this week. You say, okay, 
If you don't believe me, take a peek. And I think they did. I think they looked into the empty tomb. I love that about God. He invites us to look. And then he says, okay, now go quickly. Tell others this good news. Now, we may be tempted to think that Matthew would end it in verse 7. Doesn't it seem like the end of the story? But Matthew has something else up his literary sleeve we must not miss in the story. Two women leave the garden. You think that's the end of the story. But suddenly they encounter the resurrected Jesus. Look at verse 9. And behold, this word has a sense of astonishment. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. This is a warm kind of greeting. And they came up and took hold of his seat and worshipped him. This was the moment on the first Easter morning that changed everything when they encountered the risen Jesus. This was the beginning of hope and new life for them. And what is amazing to me, and don't miss this, that Jesus chooses, that the, the, the verb is that Jesus takes the initiative with these women. And in a cultural context, women were often devalued. They couldn't even witness in a court of law. And yet these two women are Jesus' first witness to the world. Jesus not only values women, he turns the world upside down. And notice the response. They bow before him and they hold onto his nail-scarred feet for dear life. This is important not to miss in the story. The resurrection of Jesus was not some wish dream, something fabricated by grief-struck followers. The resurrection of Jesus is not some ethereal ideal, not some metaphor or some spiritual resurrection. No, Jesus was in bodily reality in time and space. It was, he was something they could not only see with their eyes, but notice Matthew's description. They grabbed his feet with their hands and that you know they held on for dear life. And notice Jesus allows them to worship him. Something unthinkable in a Jewish context. Only God could be worshipped. So Jesus is clearly after the resurrection saying, you know who I am. And you fall at my feet. First century participants, both skeptics and believers, all agreed to this truth. The tomb was empty. There was no doubt about that. Matthew tells us later in the story, you can look at this today or later on this week, that Jesus' enemies did everything they could. Everything they could to convince a world that Jesus' body was stolen. This deceptive sort of sleight of hand didn't find any traction because all the evidence pointed otherwise, and it still does today. Do we realize that the Christian faith rests not on good moral teaching? It doesn't rest, it rests on this fact, that Jesus not only came to this earth, he died on the cross, he rose bodily from the grave. This is what Christianity depends on. You take that out, there's nothing left. Paul says that. If Jesus didn't bodily raise from the dead, he says the Christian faith is the biggest hoax ever. But Jesus rose from the dead. And how you and I face that truth is the intersection of our life and our story. The two women, their life were changed forever. Because resurrection is the death of fear. And what you will notice is the empty tomb empties every frightened heart of deathly fear. 
What are your hearts telling you this morning? Have you found the freedom from deathly fears that often imprison you? How do we find that freedom? These are fears, again, we often daily feel, don't we? But we seldom talk about with others. Like at the first century followers of Jesus, we too face fears of failure, don't we? We face the fear of being known for who we really are with someone. The fear that life is just meaningless and the fear of what is just around the corner in our future. So can we talk for just a moment about the fears we seldom talk about and how Easter shatters those? Fear of failure is common, isn't it? Common in my life. Perhaps you fear a failure in your past, a failure that will be found out by others and the shame that brings, a secret you are carrying. Perhaps you think your failure is so bad, God couldn't possibly forgive you. Perhaps you're paralyzed by the future because of a failure you think is lurking there, or even this week, in your test at school, in your job. But the good news of Easter, friends, reminds us that Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He laid his life down on the cross satisfying the righteous wrath of a holy God as an atoning sacrifice for your sin and mine. And Jesus gloriously rose from the dead. He defeated death forever. And he offers you and me new life, forgiveness of sin. And Jesus paid every debt. He paid every failure we have ever done or ever could do on that cross. So the good news of the gospel is that our failures, whether past or future, need not be fatal. Jesus told this wonderful story of the loving father and the prodigal son who left, did the unthinkable, left his family, went to a far country. Remember that story? Talk about a failure this kid was. But he comes back to the father's heart with open arms. The father receives him with welcoming grace, forgives him, and welcomes him back to the family. That's the good news of the gospel for you and me. The gospel puts to death any deathly fear of failure. And frees us up to live the life we were created to live. To be unshackled from those kind of fear. To soar with how God has designed us to soar. Watchman Nee, a mystic writer of the Christian church in the last century, said this. I love this. He says, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. He said that again. The cross and the empty tomb are the intersection of your life and mine. And Watchman Nee says, our old history ends with the cross, our new history begins with the resurrection. What a difference this day has made. Not only in the two women at the tomb, but in your life and mine. Another fear I think is very common is the fear of futility, that our life really doesn't matter. That we are just dust in the wind, but we are, the Bible says, amazing dust, fashioned from dust, the crown of creation, who has a glorious eternal destiny with the Father in the new heavens and new earth. We are fashioned from dust, but glorious. We're often told, aren't we today, that we simply exist because over eons of time and chance, somehow we became who we are. But the Bible declares we are created in God's image. You are and have priceless value. You know how priceless you are to God? Exactly how he created you. Yes, we're broken. Yes, Jesus died to restore our brokenness. 
The cross and the empty tomb declare that we do matter, that you matter, that you and I are so deeply loved, and that you and I have an important place in God's story and God's world. Do we realize that the resurrection, the empty tomb, settles once and for all that we matter? And it replaces our fear of meaninglessness with a promise of a transcendent purpose. The empty tomb declares that our life matters, your life matters, now and forever. And we do not have to be afraid of being known because Jesus knows everything about us whether we are open to him or not. He knows us fully and he loves us unconditionally. We can trust someone who lay his life down for us. And we can be known by him. Fear of the future is also very common, I find. Aren't we afraid of the future? We live on it in certain times. Fears in our own personal life, I hear it. I hear it over and over again, like echoes of darkness. Financial collapse, terrorism, nuclear or biological calamity. And all those blockbuster movies, as great as they are, just add more fear to my heart. Who needs Alfred Hitchcock when you got that? I'm just waiting for that big meteor to smash the earth. We live in a time that is so filled with fear. The undercurrents are everywhere. But I want to suggest the greatest fear we seldom talk about is the fear of death. Our death and the ones we love. I want to suggest to you the fear of death is the core of all fears. It's the fear lurking behind all fear. Woody Allen, who's an atheist, committed atheist, an eccentric filmmaker, in an interview talked about how he works obsessively to avoid thinking he's getting Alzheimer's and it's going to die. How many of us as we get older fear that? I do. Woody Allen, in his humorous way, said this, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. But Woody Allen will be. And the scripture says it's appointed for man to die and then comes judgment. Follower of Jesus and former Yale philosophy professor Nicholas Wolderstorp lost his son Eric in a hiking accident. His book he wrote, he's a follower of Jesus, called Lament of a Son, is one of the most compelling stories of grief I've ever read. And this Christian philosopher says this, death is shalom's mortal enemy. Death is demonic. We cannot live at peace with death. And he says, there's only one response until death is finally overcome. And this is what he says, I shall keep the wound from healing. In recognition of our living still in the old order of things, I shall try to keep it from healing in solidarity with those who sit beside me on humanity's morning bench. Death is real. And the fear that comes with it is very real. Death and the fear of death entered a garden long ago. And humankind, not created to die, were swept up into a cosmic rebellion. And death and fear entered the world. What began in a garden, do not miss, is ended in a garden, a garden tomb. When the crucified and risen Savior rose from the dead, and forever banished death and the fear of death. Paul says, oh death, you've lost your sting. Yeah. 
So how do we make sense of suffering and death? We need to talk about it. We need to grasp that our God has wounds and that Jesus enters into your suffering and your death with you in that valley of the shadow. And when we embrace the crucified and risen Savior, he sets us free from deathly fears, including the fear of death itself. As a church family, we've been looking through the book of Hebrews. Notice in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, as we focus on the true and better Jesus, notice the theme of enslavement to fear of death. The writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All of us, young and old, do not know that moment when we'll be ushered into eternity. We all walk on this tightrope of time over the vastness of eternity. This morning's message is not meant to just be a convenient talk. Perhaps the most important message we can hear and rehear. As a young boy, I lost my father to death way too early. And when you're a young boy of 10, losing your dad is very confusing. It's also very terrifying. But somehow that message of Easter pushed back the deathly fear as we sang a hymn I still remember. The chorus went like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Because Jesus lives, I have good news for you. The empty tomb empties the human heart from deathly fear. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if you're here this morning and your heart is imprisoned by a deathly fear, you don't have to live this way. The empty tomb empties our hearts of fear when we place our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says, hear me carefully, perfect love casts out fear. The person of perfect love came to this sin-ravaged planet to rescue you and me from sin and death. And the Bible declares God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we find true forgiveness and freedom from deathly fear when we in repentance and faith place our faith or our trust in our crucified and risen Savior. So if you're here this morning and desire to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you pray this prayer of faith with me? Lord Jesus, I trust you as my personal Lord and Savior. In faith, I humbly ask you to forgive all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and for defeating death by raising from the dead. Free me from the enslaving chains that bind me. And teach me to follow you and honor you all my life. In Jesus' name I pray.